On Sunday, LGBT protesters decided to march through Los Angeles, shutting down traffic as they went, before meeting up in gay mecca West Hollywood, where they were treated to speeches from House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, and, of course, RuPaul. But the theme of the day was not tolerance and diversity. It was hatred for President Trump. Resist stickers festooned garbage cans and telephone poles. People milled about in anti-Trump t-shirts. In fact, the usual Pride March was, march was recast into a resist march against the Trump administration, which is actually kind of weird given that Trump is pro-gay marriage and is the first politician to enter the White House with that position. Monday marked the first anniversary of a jihadist massacring patrons at an Orlando gay nightclub, an event Trump marked by stating, quote, a radical Islamic terrorist targeted the nightclub not only because he wanted to kill Americans, but in order to execute gay and lesbian citizens because of their sexual orientation. It's a strike at the heart and soul of who we are as a nation. It's an assault on the ability of free people to live their lives, love who they want, and express their identity. Trump is the first major Republican politician to publicly loft a gay, a gay rainbow flag, but... Trump is also the first Republican politician to have the honor of watching an LGBT march morph into a movement against him personally, all of which shows that identity politics for the left is more of a strategy than a principled adherence to the notion of protecting supposed minority victims, while the left maintains that government must be bigger and stronger and more invasive in order to protect the rights of various political identity groups, and while the left polarizes those identity groups for political purposes, the truth is that identity politics is a mask for leftism, not an outgrowth of it. If identity, if identity politics were truly organic, if dividing Americans by identity groups truly led them to coalitional politics, you'd expect alliances to shift. LGBT Americans, for example, might support Trump in larger numbers than they'd supported other Republicans. But exit polls show Mitt Romney won more LGBT votes by a solid eight-point margin than Trump did. So what's all this about? Leftism panders to various intersectional groups by positing special benefits for them via government. But if the interests of the groups don't run in favor of leftism, leftism wins out anyway. In, mo in other words, most LGBT voters are primarily leftists, not single-issue identity politics voters. Leftist pandering to identity politics is very often a political ploy designed to grant individuals a feeling of solidarity with fellow identity group members, but it's not an actual principled opposition to a candidate based on that candidate's adherence to the identity group's priorities. All of which means that it's foolish for conservatives to engage in identity politics to counter the left. For the left, each identity group is a brick already stacked in the leftist wall, merely cemented in place with identity group politics. The right can try to chip away at the cement, but the brick is still going to be part of the leftist wall. Instead, conservatives should try to blow up the wall completely. We should try to treat people as individuals rather than as members of identity groups. Destroy the notion of people as atoms in broader bricks to begin with. Identity politics is dangerous, but it's more of a tool than an endgame. The left knows that, which is why an LGBT march can turn into an anti-Trump march at the drop of a hat, even if Trump is fine with Caitlyn Jenner using the women's bathroom at Trump Tower. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All right, tons to get to. So Attorney General Jeff Sessions is supposed to go before the Senate tomorrow in open hearing. Very smart of Attorney General Sessions. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Trump actually getting some things done, Republicans actually getting some things done while the media are busy focused on the Comey mania. But before we get to all of that, first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Ring.com. So in the United States, there is a home burglary every 13 seconds. Most of them happen in broad daylight. The way that it usually works is somebody rings the doorbell to make sure that you're not home, and then they break into your house. Well, 
The way to prevent that is with Ring.com because now with Ring, they hit the doorbell and it immediately signals your phone and then you can actually get on the phone and you can talk to the person at the other end of the doorbell. So they don't know that you're home. You can see from your Ring video camera who exactly is at the door. For me, it's great because I'm very safety conscious. That means that I want to know who's at the gate before I open up the gate and that's what Ring allows me to do. I can actually see the person at the gate before that. Plus, they have a new Ring of Security Kit, which is an advanced motion te detection technology to protect your entire property. It's a Ring video doorbell for the front door, a Ring stick-up cam, wireless weatherproof HD camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property. Everything installs in minutes. I've done it myself. And when they work together, they provide 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or whether you're thousands of miles away. We use it at our house all the time. When I'm traveling, people don't know that I'm traveling, obviously, with regard to ringing on the doorbell, and I can tell who's there. Um, my wife is very safety conscious as well. We use Ring all the time. Ring.com slash Ben. That's Ring.com slash Ben. And you get $150 off that Ring of Security kit when you go to Ring.com slash Ben right now. Again, use that slash Ben so that they know that we've sent you, and also so that you get that $150 discount on the Ring of Security kit. Okay, so lots to get to about in terms of the fallout from the, from the Comey testimony last week. And again, the Comey testimony sort of did two things. Number one thing it did was it got rid of the Trump-Russia collusion narrative. So if you recall, the Democratic narrative was Trump had worked with Russia to steal the election, and then after stealing the election, Trump had fired James Comey in order to prevent that from coming out. That was the left's theory. And that has been completely blown away by the Comey testimony. So that's the upside. Even Democrats are now acknowledging openly there's no evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. This story is falling apart. Joe Manchin, a senator from West Virginia, he said as much on the Sunday shows. Do you agree with this conclusion that the president has reached that there was no evidence of collusion? You know, we haven't seen any of that whatsoever, George. Uh, we've been looking and, and showing everything that uh, they possibly have. Uh, that has not led to that. Okay, so again, I think that it just demonstrates that the, the left's narrative on this whole thing has fallen apart. Beyond that, um, it's also obvious that there's a second aspect of this narrative that is now being drawn out by the left. So the left is now pivoting. Okay, it's, it's like that episode of Friends where Ross is trying to get a couch up the stairs and he's just shouting, pivot, pivot, pivot. Well, that's where we are right now. The Democrats are now pivoting off of the Trump-Russia stuff and now pivoting toward the Trump-Flynn stuff. So the most damning part of Comey's testimony and the part that was apparently codified in a memo was this part that says that Trump essentially brought Comey into a room by himself, told everybody else to leave, told Attorney General Sessions to leave, told DNI Coates to leave, told everybody to get out, and then turned to Comey and said, I hope you can find your way clear to letting Flynn go. And Comey says he took that as a directive. Well, a couple things. Number one, obviously he didn't really take it as a directive because he didn't slow down his Flynn investigation. But what the left would say is, Okay, he, Trump meant it as a directive. Comey may not have taken it seriously enough to act as a directive, but the fact that he was fired over it demonstrates that this is obstruction of justice. And the fact that he said the same thing to Dan Coats, the director of national intelligence, and the same thing to the national security agency leader, Mike Rogers. He said the same thing, you know, that, that he wanted to let Flynn go. He said it to all these people. That means it's obstruction of justice. So I think that it is worthwhile now for you to understand just what obstruction of justice is before we get to the left's kind of falsification of what obstruction of justice is, because the left is all over this thing. The left is trying to claim now that Trump has committed some sort of crime. I want to go through the actual law. So Professor Alan Dershowitz said last week that there is no obstruction of justice. He said, quote, the president could have told Comey, you are commanded, directed to stop the prosecution against Flynn. The president has the right to do that. Comey acknowledges that. He says in the statement that historically, historically, presidents have done that to the Justice Department. So there's a fair bit of legal debate over whether 
whether Professor Dershowitz is correct about this. But the general idea is the FBI director works for the president. The president can fire whoever he wants. Remember, Nixon was not actually prosecuted criminally for obstruction of justice. He was impeached. And it's important to keep this in your mind, okay? Because when you talk about impeachment, Trump does not have to have committed technically a crime in order to be impeached. All that has to happen is the Congress thinks he's done something bad enough to impeach him. Okay, you don't have to be convicted of a crime in order to be impeached. The reason that's worth noting is, one, the left, when they claim that Trump did something illegal, they can be wrong and still try to impeach. And two, just because Trump didn't do anything illegal doesn't mean that he was acting very smart or good with regard to FBI Director Comey. Now, Trump obviously has the right to fire the FBI director. Whether he has the right to intimidate the FBI director is another story. So there are three statutes, but here's the problem. There are three statutes that basically cover obstruction of justice federally. There are three statutes. None of them appear to apply in this case. None of them appear to apply to President Trump, even if you took the most egregious Comey-like reading of what Trump was saying. Right? Even if you took the most egregious reading and he said what Trump really meant was, you better let this Flynn go or I'm going to fire you. Right? Even if Trump said that, it's not clear it's obstruction of justice. So here are the three provisions of federal law. One is 18 U.S. Code 1503. This is called the Omnibus Clause. The Omnibus Clause, with regard to the obstruction of justice, covers, quote, corruptly or by threatening letter or communication, influencing or impeding or endeavoring to influence, obstruct or impede the due administration of justice. So that sounds pretty bad, right? Because if you assume there's an FBI investigation going on and he's trying to threaten, to influence, then that's obstruction. But the clause legally requires a pending judicial proceeding. So it's not enough for there to be an FBI investigation. There actually has to be like a trial going on and then you try to threaten a prosecutor, right? That would be obstruction of justice. But we don't know of any pending judicial proceeding against Mike Flynn. We also don't know of any pending judicial proceeding with regard to the Trump-Russia stuff. In fact, good shot that a lot of this was a counterintelligence investigation, not necessarily a criminal one. Counterintelligence investigations are not pending judicial proceedings. Furthermore, the Supreme Court is pretty exacting on the application of this law. A prosecutor would need to show that Trump's conduct, quote, materially impeded the investigation. And even Comey has said that really didn't happen, right? Comey said that he didn't actually do anything to shut down the investigation. Okay, so that's provision number one. Provision number two is 18 U.S.C. 1512C. And the reason I'm going through this is because I want people, left and right, to have a good picture of what the law is before they start spouting off nonsense. 15, 18 U.S.C. 1512C. This provision of the law covers anyone who, quote, obstructs, influences, or impedes an official proceeding or attempts to do so. It's not clear an FBI investigation is an official proceeding. And in this case, you'd actually have to prove intent. You'd have to prove that Trump actually wanted to shut this down. And typically, that doesn't just mean saying things. It means you have to take, quote, a substantial step toward the accomplishment of shutting it down. And as Flynn has testified, he is not aware that there was really any hard evidence to attempt to shut down the Flynn investigation. So it would be a long, a long punt to have to, to have to try and prove this. Finally, there's 18 U.S.C. 1519. This is the provision covering destroying evidence related to a federal investigation. So this one would basically say that if you, this, this would deal like specifically with a federal investigation, like an FBI investigation. If Trump had destroyed documents, that's one thing. Him saying something to Comey is not the same thing. So in other words, just from a fact-checking perspective, the idea that Trump committed obstruction of justice, very, very questionable. Now, does that mean that Trump is pursuing a smart strategy in response to this stuff? Does it mean that it's, it's smart how Trump is responding to it? Not particularly. Trump's best strategy here would be to say, listen, I didn't mean to impede an investigation. I was just spouting off. I spout off all the time. I said some stuff to Comey. Big frickin' deal. What you gonna do about it? Right? I mean, Obama did the same thing with the IRS. 
Loretta Lynch did the same thing with Comey with regard to the Hillary investigation. I don't see the left going nuts over this. This would be his smartest strategy. And as far as the Lynch stuff, even the left acknowledges now that the Loretta Lynch stuff is very damaging because Loretta Lynch basically did straight out what the left is accusing Trump of doing with regard to Comey. So if you recall back to last week, James Comey testified that Loretta Lynch, who is Obama's attorney general, told him she wanted the Hillary investigation referred to as a quote-unquote matter. And he said that he felt nauseous, or queasy, I think is the word he used, with regard to Loretta Lynch's involvement in the Hillary investigation. Now, this goes to Comey's credibility. It really does, because the fact is, Comey didn't say anything publicly. Comey didn't call out Loretta Lynch. He didn't, he didn't actually stop her from getting what she wanted. In fact, he started using the term matter just like Loretta Lynch wanted him to, which suggests that Comey is a guy who really wants to keep his job. I mean, he wanted to keep his job with Trump. He wanted to keep his job with Obama. Comey, for all of his rectitudinal talk about how he is the, the spine of, of moral decency, this is a guy who didn't say much when Loretta Lynch said, I want you to basically skew this thing. Instead, what he did is he said, listen, I think Hillary's innocent, so I'm going to do Loretta Lynch's work for her so Loretta Lynch won't be accused of having skewed the investigation. That's pretty crazy, right? I mean, that's bad stuff with regard to James Comey. The left realizes this is pretty damaging right now. And so here is Dianne Feinstein, the, the Democratic senator from California, basically acknowledging that what happened to Loretta Lynch is pretty bad and has to be investigated. Now, the reason that Dianne Feinstein is saying that, of course, is because she wants to be able to say, listen, Loretta Lynch should be investigated, and so, so should the president. That's smart by Dianne Feinstein. They understand that the Loretta Lynch story is a problem. Here's the, the Senator Feinstein from my state, California. I think we need to know more about that. And there's only one way to know about it, and that's to have the Judiciary Committee take a look at that. So you think it's worth investigating if, in a way, this was semantic cover given to the Clinton campaign? What was clearly an investigation being yeah, described Yeah, but this a is a separate investigation of course, talking about. Yes. And I don't think we should. Okay, so again, this is smart by Dianne Feinstein. What's stupid is Chuck Schumer. He's giving the more honest Democrat response, which is, no, nah, you know, I think Loretta Lynch is fine. Trump's really bad, right? Trump's super bad. And, it, you know, when he intimidated Comey, that was really bad. But when Loretta Lynch did the same thing to Comey, now that was okay. Here's Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader. Look, I heard what Jim Comey said, and he said he was troubled by it. Uh, I respect him a great deal, but I haven't heard Loretta Lynch's side of the story, so I'm not going to come to a conclusion as to who was right or wrong or whether it rises to the level that she should come testify. Okay, so he doesn't think she should come testify, but Trump should definitely come testify. Again, this just demonstrates there's a ton of hypocrisy on both sides. So people who are very disturbed by what Loretta Lynch did in the last election cycle you should be disturbed that President Trump told James Comey that he hoped that the Flynn thing would be dropped. You should be, okay? That's not to say that Trump necessarily did anything tremendously wrong. It's not to say that Trump did anything criminal. Yeah, I think that he did something wrong, but not criminal. I think you shouldn't call the FBI director into your office and then tell him you want an investigation handled a particular way. That seems inappropriate to me. But if you're disturbed by Lynch, you should be disturbed by Trump. And if you're disturbed by Trump, you should be disturbed by Lynch. People who are disturbed by neither are consistent. People who are disturbed by both are consistent. People who are, who are disturbed by one or the other are wildly inconsistent. And I would suggest that you examine your partisan bias if you are disturbed by Lynch, but not by Trump, or if you are disturbed by Trump, but not by Lynch. And this holds true for both sides of the aisle. With all that said, President Trump, you know, he has his own response to all of this. I already laid out what I think his response should be, what the smart response would be, right, which would be, okay, you know, on the obstruction stuff, right? Look, the Trump-Russia stuff is great. He already can say that I've been vindicated on that, and he is saying that. His, his, his real response on the obstruction stuff should be, I didn't legally break the law, and by the way, I didn't even do anything to intimidate 
Comey because he clearly wasn't intimidated. I was just saying stuff because that's what I do. I say stuff. I'm Donald Trump. I mean, for God's sake, why are you taking me so seriously? That'd actually be his smart response. I want to get to how he's actually responding and why it's not so great in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at carshield.com. So sooner or later, you know that your car is going to break down. You know this, and it's going to cost you a crap load of money. You hope that it happens while it's still under manufacturer's warranty and the repair is covered. But if it happens after the warranty expires, then you could be out of pocket thousands and thousands of dollars, and then you have to decide whether it's worth getting a new car or dumping the car. You have to go get a bunch of bids. Well, that's why the better path is to get extended coverage from carshield.com. Extended coverage. A new transmission or engine could cost over five grand. Even a simple repair to a sensor can cost a thousand bucks. Carshield makes the entire process really easy. You select your favorite mechanic. You can go to the dealership to do the work. There's no check in the mail or waiting for reimbursement. Carshield pays the mechanic directly. Carshield's administrators give you the VIP treatment. So if you have a problem, they give you 24-7 roadside assistance. You don't have to have a separate roadside assistance service. And they give you a rental car while yours is in the shop so you're not left stranded in the, in the cold. If your car is 3 to 12 years old, that doesn't mean you need high, high repair bills. CarShield administrators have paid out close to $2 billion in claims. They are ready to help you right now. So right now, go to carshield.com slash Ben and you save 10% on your program. carshield.com slash Ben to save 10%. That's carshield.com slash Ben to save 10%. Save yourself thousands of dollars in potential repairs. Plus, again, you get that roadside service and the rental car, the whole deal. carshield.com slash Ben. Use the slash Ben so they know that we sent you and get that 10% off. A deductible may apply. Okay, so President Trump is now responding to the Comey testimony as President Trump typically does with just frontal assault. I mean, it's just full abandon. And this is where it would be really helpful if President Trump would listen to his lawyers for once, for once. But last Friday, in case you missed it, because it was late in the afternoon, President Trump gave a press conference. And at that press conference, he said something deeply stupid. He said he was willing to go under oath to say that James Comey had lied. There are two problems with this. One, James Comey's credibility is what Trump is betting on with regard to the Trump-Russia stuff. It's hard to say James Comey is a liar, 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 but he's totally right about this Trump-Russia stuff. Very difficult to do that. Instead, what Trump should have said is everything he said is basically true, but he misconstrued everything because he insists on seeing me in the worst possible light where he saw Loretta Lynch and Obama in the best possible light. Right? We now know that Comey did not write contemporaneous notes over the Loretta Lynch stuff. He didn't write contemporaneous notes even when he came to a one-on-one -on -one meeting with President Bush back in the 2000s, according to Comey. So what exactly is, is his issue with me? Like, clearly, he's just interpreting me in the worst possible light. That's not my fault. That's Comey's fault, right? That, that's what Trump should be saying. So everything he says I said, I did say, but I didn't mean it the way he's saying it. That's what Trump should be saying. Instead, he goes out there and he calls Comey a liar because President Trump, he is incapable of backing down from a fight or even strategically edging around a fight for his own benefit. So instead, he says he's willing to go under oath and all of his lawyers had to just be doing the full-on... Jean-Luc Picard face, double face palm. I mean, the, every lawyer must have been doing the Tommen straight out the window routine from Game of Thrones. So here is President Trump saying this at a press conference on Friday. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of, of 100%. Okay, again, no, 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 no. Okay, if you are a def Trump defender, if you're somebody who likes Trump, this is not him playing 40 chess. This is him being aggressive and getting out over his skis. Not smart. Not smart. And really not smart because, again, once you go under oath, you can be asked anything. And then 
is Trump the kind of guy who, I mean, he's casual with how he talks. Even if you want to say he's not a liar, he's casual with the truth. Okay, casual with the truth is a very kind interpretation of things that President Trump has said in the past. This is a guy who accused Rafael Cruz of killing JFK. Okay, truth is not President Trump's strong suit. Him going under oath is just a mistake for the ages if he were to do it, which is why he's not actually going to do it. He's just sort of saying it. But the problem is by him saying it, now the Senate Democrats are saying, well, fine, here's your invitation. Come on, come on down. And we're not going to take you seriously until you do go under oath. That's a mistake. Another mistake. Trump is still hanging on to this tweet. He tweeted out that he has tapes of James Comey with him, or he said, what he really said was, James Comey better hope that there are no tapes. Hey, first of all, don't try to intimidate James Comey by saying that you might have tapes, okay? James Comey knows this game better than you do, Mr. President. And second of all, once you say you have tapes, now you actually are in obstruction of justice territory. Remember, one of the three statutes that I cited was a statute that said you're not allowed to destroy evidence in the middle of a federal investigation. So now what happens if Trump comes out and he says there are no tapes? Well, people are going to say, okay, we're going to subpoena the tapes. And then what if he says there are no tapes? People might claim there were tapes because you implied there were tapes and you, and you refused to say there were not tapes. They might say, well, there were tapes and you destroyed the tapes. It's just not smart, not smart, not smart. Here's Trump talking about the tapes again. When, when, when will you tell us about the recording? Over a fairly short period of time. Are there tapes, sir? Oh, you're going to be very disappointed when you hear the answer. Don't worry. Okay, so if we're going to be very disappointed when we hear the answer, why is everything a reality show reveal? Okay, you're the president. Just say, no, there are no tapes. I was tweeting that out because I think that Comey is not interpreting things correctly. I mean, again, all of this is so easily explainable if he just had the brains to, to look at this in realistic fashion as opposed to, I just have to call everybody who's a liar who's disagreeing with me. It's just not smart. And it's especially not smart when you have Donald Trump Jr. then going on national TV and saying openly, yeah, my dad told Comey to back off, but that's not what he meant, which is the proper defense. But Trump has now forbid that defense by going out there and saying that Comey was lying. You and I both know my father a long time. What? When he tells you to do something, yes. guess what? There's no ambiguity in it. There's no, hey, I'm hoping. You and I are friends. Hey, I hope this happens, but you got to do your job. That's what he told Comey. And for this guy as a politician to then go back and write a memo, oh, I felt, he felt so threatened. He felt, but he didn't do anything. Okay, this is the proper defense. Everybody's on Donald Trump Jr. for saying this. This is the proper defense, but Trump has already kind of foreclosed that defense by doing the whole Comey lied about the, lied about the, the entire situation. And then Trump goes out on Twitter and he says, I believe the Comey leaks will be far more prevalent than anyone ever thought possible. Totally illegal, very cowardly. Okay, again, if we're going to talk about cowardly leaks, the president leaks all the time. We'll talk about the legality of Comey's leaks. Forget about what you think of Comey. Forget about what you think of Trump. This is not smart strategy. It's just not smart strategy. And it's unnecessary, particularly because right now, Trump is starting to do some good things. So last week, end of the week, President Trump, he suddenly nominated a bunch of conservative judges to fill a lot of appeals courts vacancies. Good. This is good. He should be leading with that. That's what he should be talking about. You know, even in that tweet storm where he goes after Comey, he's talking about the, the good in the economy, and then he goes after Comey. How about just talk about what you want to talk about? You know, one of the keys to politics, this is like politics 101, is you always answer the question you want to answer in the way you want to answer it. You don't always have to answer directly the question that's being thrown in front of you. But it, it, it's, just, it's, it's a mistake to go directly up against Comey this way because you know the media are going to be all over whatever Comey says anyway. Okay, so I want to talk about Comey's credibility, whether Comey might be in danger of prosecution as well. Plus, should Bob Mueller, who's the special counsel, recuse himself 
on the Trump material. We'll talk about all of that. But first, you have to go over to dailywire.com right now and become a subscriber. So for $8 a month, you get a subscription to dailywire.com. You can see the rest of the podcast live. Plus, you can be part of the mailbag. This week, actually, I think what we're going to do is my dad and I have come out with this book uh, on the White Sox, and I think we're going to do the mailbag. My dad is, uh, I think I'm going to bring him in studio. So you can meet my dad, and if you have questions for my dad in the mailbag, then you can actually ask my father questions in the mailbag this week. So go over to dailywire.com, become a subscriber, and you can ask my dad anything, which frightens me, but you can ask my father any question you want. We'll be having him in studio, assuming we're in our new studios by then. So go over to dailywire.com right now, check it out, $8 a month plus. If you get an annual subscription, then you get a free signed copy of the aforementioned book. You get a free signed copy of this book, Say It So, by me and my father, uh, all about the 2005 Chicago White Sox season, but mostly it's just about baseball and father-son relationships, and it's about three generations of White Sox fans waiting to see them win a World Series. So it's a great Father's Day gift, and you get a free signed copy, signed copy, when you go to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. Great Father's Day gift, so go over there and check it out, or if you just want to listen later, Go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and leave a review at iTunes. We always appreciate it. We are the number one conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so now let's talk about James Comey. So one of the other attack angles here has been attacking Comey's credibility. It wouldn't be necessary to attack Comey's credibility, except that Trump is challenging his credibility directly. Now, is it worthwhile attacking Comey's credibility? I don't think that it's super worthwhile attacking Comey's credibility. It plays with the base, but it doesn't play with the middle because, again, Trump reappointed him, right? Trump could have fired him at the beginning saying he wasn't credible. It seems like a revenge play more than anything else. So it seems like both sides have... Now, do I think Comey is super credible? I actually don't. I think that Comey is not lying about what he said about Trump, but I think he's a deeply motivated political actor. I'll give you an example. I think everyone is all over Comey about this memo. So he testified last week that he took contemporaneous memos of his meetings with Trump because he found Trump to be dishonest. And then he said, okay, because I found Trump to be dishonest, I took these memos. And then after Trump tweeted about these tapes, I decided to release the memo to a friend of mine at Columbia Law School who was then going to release it to the press. I was going to leak it through him. And I did that in order to prompt a special counsel. Now, the right is saying, well, let's just get rid of the special counsel then. I mean, hey, if that's what Comey wanted, we can't give it to him. No, that's not how this works. Once a special counsel has been appointed, very difficult to unappoint a special counsel. Plus, it really is not the presence of the memos, per se, that led to the appointment of the special counsel. It was what Comey said in the memos. But here's why Comey is a political player. And this is the part that's really silly. Comey says that he didn't want to release the memos directly himself because he said that it would have, it would have been like feeding the chumming the waters for the media. Yeah, right. Okay, well, here's how this actually played. Comey did not want to release the memos himself because he didn't want it to look like a pure revenge play against President Trump. He was afraid that if he released the memos, everybody would say, oh, he's just ticked off that he was fired, and that's why he's now striking back against President Trump. And so instead, he leaked it. He let it percolate in the press for three weeks. And then he came out and said, yeah, yeah, by the way, I leaked that. And it wasn't as a revenge play. It's because I wanted a special counsel. Okay, very convenient for, for Comey. You know, Comey considers himself the last honest man in Washington. But in order to feel like the last honest man in Washington, sometimes your own righteousness, your own sense of righteousness means that you feel like that gives you the capacity to manipulate. We've seen that in every election. People who feel like the greater cause allows me the ability to manipulate and that's who James Comey is. Jay Sekulow is Trump's defense attorney, and he came out, he says, Comey's credibility has been basically called into question here. I think that James Comey's credibility has been brought into question on multiple occasions during the Clinton investigation and here. 
Look, that's ultimately the special counsel has to weigh that. Okay, and I think that that's probably right. Um, I don't think that this is necessarily the strongest possible defense, but it is worth saying that James Comey is a politically motivated actor. He's also, uh, I think, a lot more politically savvy than President Trump is at this game. I mean, he's a career bureaucrat. You don't become the head of the FBI and a career bureaucrat serving under three administrations unless you are really fully capable of manipulating the system. And this is an example of him manipulating the system. By the way, uh, there's a good piece of evidence uh, that is now out there from, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was who, who did this. Uh, there, there's a piece of evidence anyway uh, from one of these, from a website that's on the tip of my tongue, uh, that Comey is not even telling the truth about his memos, that he actually took memos in the Bush years. Um, so uh, I'm going to try and find that piece actually. Um, there's, it's from Powerline. Okay, it's from Powerline. And basically what they say is that James Comey made a point of saying he wrote memoranda documenting all of his conversations with Trump, something he didn't feel compelled to do regarding his conversations with Obama. And then he said that he didn't document those conversations with George W. Bush when he was deputy attorney general. That's exactly what he said in his testimony. But it turns out that actually it appears that he did document those conversations. There's a book that was written called Angler, which is a book-length attack on, on Dick Cheney by Barton Gelman, and Comey was a source for Gelman. And in that book, it said, Bush stood as the meeting ended, crossing behind Cheney's chair. Comey moved in the opposite direction on his way out. He had nearly reached the grandfather clock at the door when the president said, Jim, can I talk to you for a minute? This time, the vice president was not invited. And then it says, in Comey's account, as transmitted by Gelman, he was a hero, telling the president something that other aides had kept from him that the DOJ was in revolt over the surveillance program and mass resignations, including his, were imminent. Comey claims to have quoted Martin Luther before the Diet of Worms as he explained that a man of principle, he would have no choice but to resign rather than execute an order he believed to be illegal. So number one, he didn't say that to Trump. He only said that to Bush. But second of all, Comey also told the committee he didn't document that meeting, but he did document that meeting. In fact, he had an email that he sent uh, that he sent around in which he explicitly said what happened in that meeting. So that wasn't exactly true from, from James Comey. So is his credibility um, a little shaky? Yes. Is his credibility worse than President Trump's in the public mind? Not really, except with his base. And again, Donald Trump Jr. basically admitted that Trump said all of this. So I, I really don't think that, that this is a case where Trump's, that Comey is making it up whole cloth. I don't think that's the best argument here. Okay, on to another legal issue that is that is plaguing the Trump administration, and that is Bob Mueller. So Bob Mueller, as you recall, was appointed the special counsel to investigate the Trump-Russia stuff. And it is worth noting that Bob Mueller was, the, was working at the Bush administration when Comey was the deputy attorney general. The two of them worked in concert to shut down one of the Bush-era surveillance programs, so they are very close. There's a good case that Mueller should recuse himself from the Comey part of this investigation, particularly as it turns from Trump-Russia into something else, particularly as it turns from Trump-Russia into an investigation of quote-unquote obstruction on the Flynn matter, which deeply involves James Comey. Even the people at Lawfare Blog, which tends to lean a little bit left, they have said that Mueller should recuse himself from that part of the investigation. Newt Gingrich makes this point as well, but Gingrich goes further. He says Mueller should basically be thrown out altogether. Again, this seems to me over the top. Here's Newt Gingrich. You have a director of the FBI deliberately leaking in order to create a special counsel who we're now supposed to believe is going to be this neutral figure. I think that's just nonsense. Okay, so now it's nonsense. It's worth noting Newt Gingrich said that Bob Mueller was a wonderful pick for special counsel about two weeks ago. Now he's flipped on it completely. Again, folks, a little bit of intellectual honesty would go a long way. 
Is Mueller capable of being unbiased with regard to Comey? I really doubt it. Is Mueller capable of being unbiased on Trump Russia? Yeah, I don't see why not. Specifically, he served under a bunch of administrations. He seems like he's pretty credible on this stuff. He should recuse himself on the Comey stuff. I agree. But again, everybody's just, they feel the need to go further than is necessary in order to defend President Trump. Jay Sekulow, again, Trump's defense attorney, again, making another egregious boo-boo. He says that it's possible that Trump would actually fire Mueller, the special counsel. But the president is going to seek the advice of his counsel and inside the government as well as outside. And I'm not going to speculate on what he will or will not do. But right now, the role of the president is to govern the United States of America. He's going to do that. He's going to leave anything else to the lawyers. Okay, again, not smart. This idea that he's even leaving open the possibility of firing Bob Mueller is really stupid. It's going to get the media going. Again, because that's exactly what Richard Nixon did, right? Richard Nixon fired the special prosecutor, and then he was impeached because it was actually seen as obstruction of justice. All of this is unnecessary. All of this would go away if Trump could just control his temper. But he's going to have to actually control his temper. Now, before I get any further, <clears throat> I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at 5-4, 5-4 Club. Okay, so if you don't know how to dress, if you need help with how to dress, there is no better place to go than 5-4 Club. Every single month, they send you a curated box of two to three items that are handpicked to match the current season and your style. It's really cool. You go over to 5-4 Club. Dot com right now. Enter that promo code Ben. Enter promo code Ben. And what you do is you take a little quick questionnaire and the questionnaire tells you, it asks you what size your pants are. Are you a medium? And what kind of style do you like? Do you like casual style? Do you like classic style? Uh, do you like a dark ensemble? Do you like a light ensemble? And then every month they send you two to three items in a box in the mail. And if you don't like it, you send it right back. They help you build your wardrobe one month at a time. You get $120 worth of clothes for just $60 a month. You can pause or cancel anytime. So there's no commitment. So it's not like they sign you up for a year, right? You can do it anytime you want. You can cancel. And as a 5-4 club member, you also receive up to 50% off items in their online shop. So you can shop directly from them and access to exclusive members-only items, free shipping and size exchanges. They have deals with a bunch of the designers uh, where they've actually worked with the designers. So you're getting the exact same designer brand clothing. They just don't have that brand, and 5-4 Club is producing it, and it's just as good, just as nice. Go to 5-4club.com right now, enter it promo code Ben. They'll give you 50% off that first month's package, plus a free pair of sunglasses. So instead of it costing you 60 bucks for 120 bucks of clothes, it's 30 bucks for 120 bucks of clothes. Plus, you get the free pair of sunglasses as well. It's spelled F-I-V-E-F-O-U-R club.com, 5-4club.com. Promo code Ben, 54club.com, promo code Ben. I'm getting this for my dad because my dad definitely needs to dress better. And, you know, I wear it, Chris Paul, Mark Wahlberg, a bunch of stylish people, where it's been featured pretty much everywhere. And again, they partner with cutting edge designers and brands. So you get that same top quality without the designer tag on it that makes everything 10 times as expensive. 54club.com slash Ben, 54club.com slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay. Time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. Let's do it. So, things that I like. Uh, this I just found hilarious. Yesterday, there was a D.C. gay pride parade. There was one in Los Angeles as well, a gay pride parade. I've never truly understood the idea of marching around to talk about who you have sex with. I was under the impression that this was all supposed to be the entire gay rights movement was about what we do in our bedroom is none of your business. If that's true, then why is it my business? Because you're shutting down traffic in L.A. so that you can march around. In L.A., they retitled it the Resist Trump March or some such nonsense. 
Uh, again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that's kind of ironic since Donald Trump is the most pro-gay president the United States has ever had from the outset. Uh, he, and he's the most pro-gay Republican, for sure, that the United States has ever seen in the White House. But the funniest thing was this intersectionality fight that happened in Washington, D.C. So in D.C., there was a gay pride parade, and Black Lives Matter supporters showed up to stop the D.C. pride parade, and here's what it looked like. So the Black Lives Matter supporters actually shut the thing down. They refused to move. Okay, really funny. So, you know, I assume that some of the members of the parade were very angry about all of this, but it just demonstrates that when you break people down into identity groups, they no longer even have things they have in common in common. Like, I don't know how many members of the LGBT community are anti-Black Lives Matters. I would go very few just by polling data. Um, but it shows you that when the two groups come into conflict, it can be hilarious. And hopefully they continue to come into conflict because this is all really dumb, okay? The United States is not a place where gay people are living in fear of their lives. The United States is not a place where black people are living in fear of their lives. If they are, it's because they've been reading one too many essays by Ta-Nehisi Coates and not looking at enough statistics. Okay, other things that I like. So I thought this was really funny. Um, number one, I, I didn't grab tape of it, but Aaron Judge is just a monster. The right fielder for the New York Yankees had a home run that was 495 feet yesterday. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Mickey Mantle once hit a home run that was 550 feet or something. Uh, that, that's really never been documented. They tried to peg it down. A lot of estimates say it was about 500 feet. 500 feet is about as far as you can hit a baseball. And Aaron Judge hit one 495 feet yesterday. <clears throat> that is the furthest that anybody has hit a baseball since 2009 when they started actually tracking this stuff. But the funniest thing, the, the most interesting thing to happen at a baseball stadium was not a baseball thing. At a baseball game, I think it was with the Atlanta Braves, and I think it was at the Braves Stadium, uh, the, uh, at Fulton County Stadium, there was a, um, there, there's a guy called The Freeze, and I guess he works for an anti-freeze company, and he's a sprinter. And so they do this race where they give somebody a head start, like a 200-foot head start on the guy, and then The Freeze comes motoring around, and you will see this is really funny. Let's go beat The Freeze. They give the um, contestant a head start, and then watch this guy in The Freeze suit. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Watch this, folks. I mean, the guy had, what, a 200-foot head start? At least. Look at this guy go. This guy is beautiful. <laughs> Look at this guy. The guy, yeah, the guy, guy for thought, me. He thought he was going to win. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's where he belongs, right in the dirt. Oh, the freeze will get you every time. Oh, oh I love God. it. Look at the look on his the face. Spectacular. What? What? <laughs> and down. So the freeze has become a thing. So I, I believe that the way this works is they don't give him a time head start. They give him a uh, they, they give him a a space head start, meaning that they don't let the freeze start to run until that guy hits. Uh, you can see the the kind of step up in the wall. The reason that this is relevant to me is because I, I spent uh, about thirty seconds thinking about this yesterday. How would I run that race? Because I'm not super slow. Uh, I'm, I can run about a five fifteen mile or something like that. Um, but in any case. Uh, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, why is this idiot sprinting full out? If it's a distance, then why not actually just walk for the first 200 feet and then run? Because you're going to be tired. Why do you tire yourself out in the first 200 feet when the guy can't even move, right? He's not going to move until he gets to that place anyway. So why don't you just, like, stroll right up to the 200-foot mark and then sprint? In any case, uh, well done by the freeze. 
who has justly made his name as the fastest person wearing a full bodysuit looking like Gumby to run around the warning track of a, of a baseball field. Okay, other, uh, okay, so now let's do some things that I hate. Let's do it. So last night was the Tony Awards. They still broadcast this on network television, even though no one's ever seen any of these musicals. Uh, they, there were a bunch of musicals that were nominated this year. I've seen none of them, so I have no ratings for you. I can't tell you whether they are good or bad. John Podhoritz, uh, over at Commentary Magazine, is a big devotee of Broadway. He has his own takes on these things. They're usually pretty good, so I would recommend you check that out. But the Tony Awards turned into, you guessed it, a Trump bashing fest. So for some reason, Jill Biden was there, like Joe Biden's wife. Now, Joe Biden is going to run, okay? Joe Biden wants to run in 2020. He doesn't see why he shouldn't. Donald Trump will be 74. Joe Biden will be 78. It's going to be very difficult for Trump to look at Biden and say, you're too old because they're both super old. Their combined age will be in excess of 150 years old if they both run in, 2000, in 2020. But Jill Biden is there. And for some reason, she receives a standing ovation, I guess, just for having the last name Biden. Here's what it looked like. Dr. Jill Biden. Really? Is she a war veteran or something? Like I missed, I missed the part where, where Jill Biden is supremely relevant to the political conversation. Cynthia Nixon, who they just showed there, uh, she also gave a speech where she mentioned Lillian Hellman and talked about how, how Donald Trump was a tyrant and such. All this stuff is exactly in, it's become hackneyed at this point to say this is why Trump wins, but this is sort of why Trump wins. Okay, speaking of the theater, other things that I hate. So they have now staged, it's gotten a lot of publicity, they've staged a production of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, which is a fantastic play that I've recommended before on the program. They featured it with in modern getup, and they had Julius Caesar played by a guy that's in Central Park. They had Julius Caesar played by somebody dressed up like Donald Trump. So when he gets assassinated, which is what happened to Julius Caesar, then it's Trump getting assassinated. Here's some tape of what that actually looks like. It's an actor dressed to look just like President Donald Trump as he's assassinated on stage. Look as his character is stabbed to death. And there's no mistaking the Trump connection. Check out the unbuttoned overcoat and red tie that hangs over his waist. It's a staging of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar that is outraging many. The controversial production is taking place here in New York City's Central Park. The staging is being seen as a direct jab at Trump and the controversial political climate in this country. There are other similarities to Trump. Caesar's wife, Calpurnia, bears a resemblance to First Lady Melania. Make hands for me! This is how the assassination scene has usually been done. Julius Caesar repeatedly stabbed by the members of the Roman Senate. In the new version, you see a bloodied Caesar, his white dress shirt soaked in blood. There was mixed reaction about this new twist. I didn't like that they made this person. Okay, again, this is, okay, so number one, should they have staged it this way? No, of course, you don't stage it where the president of the United States is getting killed. If they had staged it this way with Obama, then it would have been egregious. And sponsors are pulling out. So the Delta has pulled out. Uh, Time Warner's a sponsor. Fareed Zakaria, I thought it was just wonderful, of course, because Fareed Zakaria is an idiot. You shouldn't stage it this way. Trump is not Julius Caesar. Honest to God, the, the idea that Trump is some sort of dictatorial figure in the United States, the guy can't handle his business. I mean, you would expect a dictator to be a lot more competent than this if he were going to be. But it's just, it's astonishing. So 
stupid to stage it like this, bad to stage it like this. Should sponsors pull out? Well, if you're a sponsor, you have every right to pull out. I will say this. There's been a call to boycott a lot of the sponsors of this production. I think this is dangerous business. I've said this before. I've said this about Kathy Griffin. Uh, I've said this about this particular Julius Caesar production. I've said this about Chick-fil-A. I've said this about pretty much everything. I said about Sean Hannity. I don't like this general business where people boycott the sponsors of a particular show or production because they don't like the show or production. I think that it's, it's a dangerous business because, again, if you think it was nasty for Media Matters to spontaneously organize a grassroots opposition to sponsors on Sean Hannity because of the Seth Rich stuff, then you should think twice before you, you wonder whether this is a tactic that should be utilized. So as egregious as I think this is, and I think it truly is egregious, I think that it's horrible direction. I think it's a horrible idea. I think it debases the public culture in the United States. I think it debases the theatrical culture in the United States. All of that is true, and it would never have been done to a Democrat, no matter how dictatorial the president. All of that being the case, I still am not that fond of the idea that sponsors should see boycotts because of the artistic activities they choose to sponsor, all that's going to end up is you're going to end up seeing more people, you're going to see more sponsors just shy away from political material altogether, which is not really good for anybody. Okay, final thing that I hate. So Ivanka Trump was on Fox and Friends this morning, and she did a really good job. I mean, Ivanka is very telegenic, obviously. She's very beautiful. Uh, she is very TV friendly. She knows how to talk. But she dropped this one line that just, bleh. here's what she had to say. Is it harder than you thought to stick to the things you want to do because of what keeps coming up, whether it's the Russia investigation or something yeah. else? It, it is hard, and there's a level of viciousness that I was not expecting. I was not expecting the intensity of this experience, but this isn't supposed to be easy. Mm -hmm. My father and this administration intends to be transformative. And we want to do big, bold things, and we're looking to change the status quo. So I didn't expect it to be easy. I think um, some of the distractions and, and some of the, uh, the ferocity was um, I was a little blindsided by on a personal level. But for me, I am trying to keep my head down, not listen to the noise, and, and just work really hard to, to make a, a positive impact right. in the lives. Okay, so of she's, really, she's really good at this, obviously. When she says the ferocity, the viciousness is something I didn't expect, listen, welcome to the business of politics. This whole babe in the woods routine that I'm getting kind of tired of, and you get it from both sides. You know, Hillary did it too. I just didn't expect this kind of viciousness. And then Ivanka, I didn't expect this kind of viciousness. And Trump, it's so vicious, I didn't expect it. Really, you didn't expect it? Okay, we just showed you a play that was written, you know, back in Shakespeare's time, so five centuries ago it was written, and that play involved an assassination from a millennia and a half before that, a millennium and a half before that, the assassination of Julius Caesar. Politics has been vicious for quite a while, gang, and then this whole notion that, oh my god, I just never expected it. Well, then don't get into politics. Then don't get into politics. I mean, honestly, like her father is a vicious knife fighter too. And this, and the idea that Manhattan real estate is some sort of place for patsies. Manhattan real estate is where you go when you want to relax a little bit. It's just silly. Let's all get real about what politics is and what politics should be and what politics is not currently. Uh, and then maybe we'll have a better shot at, at seeing what is true and what is not. Okay, well, speaking of what is true and what is not, Jeff Sessions will be on the Hill tomorrow testifying uh, about whether he has relationships with the Russians. Hint, no. Uh, and, uh, and about his relationship with Comey and Trump. Should be interesting. We'll bring you all the latest updates. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 